The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Call it a relief rally as stocks surge ahead of today's big Federal Reserve policy decision meeting. Former Atlanta Fed President Dennis Lockhart will weigh in. Not just here at home, stocks in China as well and Hong Kong also surging as Beijing looks to reassure investors more than after more than $300 billion in market value was wiped off the book in just a matter of days. In Ukraine, President Volodymyr Zelensky striking an optimistic tone on peace talks ahead of today's congressional address. This as President Biden is set to travel to Europe next week. Plus, Russia stands on the brink of default as Moscow faces a key repayment deadline without access to the U.S. dollar, potentially triggering its first sovereign debt default since the currency crisis back in 1918. And then more than one week suspensions for nickel. The London Metal Exchange will give those nickel traders the green light once again to resume that action It's Wednesday, March 16th. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan today, kicking off your Wednesday morning hump day with futures in the U.S. looking towards some more gains right now at this point. The Dow is implied higher by roughly 280 points. The S&P implied higher by 45 and the Nasdaq up by a whopping 218. This is all coming after a nearly 600 point gain for the Dow just yesterday. As you can see, there, picking up steam throughout the course of the day. The win streak is now two days. The S&P, the Nasdaq, the Russell 2000 small cap indices all coming off their first winning session in four days. The moves higher in equities coming on the heels of a continued drop in oil prices. You can see here oil up modestly now one and a half percent, ninety eight dollars per barrel. But it's now down more than nine percent just this week, despite some gains that we are seeing right now. Keeping a close eye on Treasuries with the 10-year Treasury note trading at its highest levels in terms of yield since 2019. You can see that benchmark 10-year note yield just a hair below 2.17% at this point. The two-year note yield just a little below 1.86% on that Treasury trade. All of this as the Fed prepares to wrap up its two-day policy meeting at 2 p.m. today with an all-but-certain 25 basis point, one-quarter of a percentage point hike, its first in four years. Overseas, a relief rally in Asia as well with Hong Kong's Hang Seng surging, as you can see there, more than 9%, the best day for that index since 2008. You've got names like Tencent, Alibaba, JD.com, some of the, the household big tech names, all sharply higher, as you can see there, anywhere from 23 to 36% in a single day. By the way, for Alibaba, the biggest single-day gain on record. We've got much more on that big bounce in Chinese stocks coming up. We've got green arrows, though, across the screen in Europe as well. As you can see, they will spin that globe around. Pretty much solid green across the board. 
outsized gains there in the German DAX and the CAC in France, both up by north of two and a half percent. The FTSE 100 is up about one and a quarter percent. Our Rosanna Lockwood is in London with the early trade there. Good morning, Rosanna. Good morning, Dom. Yeah, you put it so well there. That broad-based positivity we saw throughout Asia trade really feeding into Europe here. The DAC, the CAC, the FTSE up by as much as they were down in Tuesday's session. So some really broad-based recovery across all sectors, including those heavily China-exposed sectors like basic resources and like autos. And of course, everyone here in Europe awaiting that uh, Fed decision as well. But let's get to the LME story that you mentioned because it's fascinating. It began trade already uh, an hour ago here in London after being closed for six days, that three-month nickel contract. Now, the LME imposing a 5% limit up and limit down. Uh, however, we did see some issues with that. When it opened, it appeared to be 8.5% down, that nickel contract. And just in the last 15 minutes, the LME has once again halted trade in this contract. They say, quote, while they investigate technical issues with the limit down. So maybe that was what we were seeing earlier on. We'll have to see what happens there. The LME actually imposing 15% restrictions on the other base metals, including aluminium, copper, uh, tin and zinc. That's the first time in its 145-year history that it's ever placed limits on outright contracts. So we're seeing a lot of history being made today. My colleagues on Squawkbox actually spoke to the CEO of the LME earlier, Matthew Chamberlain. He sounded quite contrite. We are absolutely mindful of the impact that this had had on so many people, uh, and we need to make sure that it doesn't happen again. I think the most important aspect is the one that you mentioned, which is understanding the impact of these huge OTC positions on the, on the exchange market. Now, on the OTC positions, Chamberlain saying that they've tried before to evolve the market and receive pushback. So it's something he wants to see further evolution on that. Sing Chan, that enormous Chinese metal giant, actually getting in the lenders to help uh, make those margin calls, could actually come out of this uh, quite well. But certainly a moment of great reckoning and sort of almost existentialism for the metals market here in London. So much attention being paid to that metals market as well. Rosanna Lockwood in London with the latest there. Thank you very much. To the latest now on Ukraine with fighting now well into its fourth week and Russia continuing its bombardment of the capital city of Kiev. Despite the shelling, though, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky was able to meet in person with three Eastern European allies in Kiev, the capital, overnight in what was the most high-profile visit to the capital since Russia invaded the country back on February 24th. Following that meeting, more peace talks are scheduled for today. Zelensky is striking an optimistic tone ahead of those talks, saying, quote, the positions in the negotiations sound more realistic. Also today, Zelensky is set to address both chambers of the U.S. Congress at 9 a.m. Eastern time, just as President Biden is set to announce another $1 billion worth of military aid to that region. NBC's Bree Jackson is in Washington, D.C. with more on what we can expect. Good morning, Bree. Good morning, Dominic. Well, President Zelensky is expected to again plead for a no-fly zone and military jets, something the Biden administration has so far rejected, saying that that could lead to uh, World War III. At least one person died after a series of Russian airstrikes destroyed this apartment building in Kyiv. A sad reminder of the growing number of civilian casualties. Among those killed since the war started, an American journalist and two members of a Fox News crew. Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky describing the destruction and heartbreak to Canadian lawmakers, again receiving a standing ovation. 
Close the airspace. Please stop the bombing. How many more cruise missiles have to fall on our cities? Zelensky is expected to repeat that call during his virtual address to Congress today. Well, my guess is that everything he's going to request is something we ought to be doing. The administration has been pretty unequivocal in saying no to a no-fly zone, but there are plenty of tools we can give Ukraine. The Biden administration is considering providing Ukraine with killer drones, equipped with missiles that could target Russian tanks and artillery from miles away. President Biden already signing off on nearly $14 billion in humanitarian and military aid. We're going to be able to quickly ramp up our response and help alleviate the suffering that Putin's war is causing. As the crisis worsens, roughly three million Ukrainians have fled their homeland. I'm fleeing for the sake of my children, she tells us. President Biden will travel to Brussels for a NATO meeting next week, world leaders uniting in their opposition to Russian aggression. And after President Zelensky's virtual speech today, President Biden will deliver remarks where he's expected to announce nearly $1 billion in military aid for Ukraine. Dom. Bree Jackson, thank you very much for the update there. Back to the markets as investors gear up for that big policy decision from the Federal Reserve later on today. Let's bring in now Ryan Payne, president of Payne Capital Management. Ryan, this is a very big deal. It'll be the first interest rate hike we've seen in four years. It's a foregone conclusion. Markets seem to be okay with what's happening right now. Does it give you some more optimism about the path ahead in the coming weeks? Yeah, I think it definitely does, right, because markets are invariably forward-looking. And, look, we've been seeing a price correction now since January, right? We've seen a lot of volatility in the markets. And, you know, even this conflict in Ukraine, you know, the S&P 500 is only down a 1% or 2% since that actually happened. Um, I think it exacerbated this move that we've seen in the stock market. But the reality of it is we've seen a price readjustment now, Dominic, for like, you know, really over two months now on what the Fed's going to do. So I think today is a non-event. Uh, with regards to the Fed is going to raise interest rates. We know that. The question really is, how aggressive is the Fed going to be, right? Are they going to be extremely hawkish here? How many more rate hikes are we going to see this year? What's the dot plot going to look like? And then we have that $900 trillion balance sheet that they have to unwind. So I think there's going to be some questions around that. But my guess is they're probably going to be more moderately hawkish as opposed to aggressively hawkish. So, you know, I think that's all good news because we've seen the bad news priced in for a couple months here. But more importantly, I think today is what's going to happen with retail sales? You know, what does the consumer look like? Because we know the consumer basically drives everything. So if the consumer drives everything, do we feel as though the consumer is in a strong enough spot here where it can continue to power the U.S. and arguably the global economy? And if so, why wouldn't you be going into some of those retail-type stocks that have been sold off over the course of the last three or four weeks at this point? You're speaking my my language here, Dominic. Absolutely. And I think this is where the economists always get it wrong. They always discount the American consumer. You know, you're hearing a lot about oil prices are going higher here. Commodity prices are higher. You know, Americans are going to dial back on their spending And it's like gravity. You can never, never discount the American expender. And I think right now, if you look at the American household, it's in great shape, right? We have a $150 trillion net worth. That's the highest the American households ever had in terms of net worth. You've got wages going up. Jobs are abundant right now. And, you know, you're really getting to a point where the pandemic is endemic and there's a huge appetite for people to go out, travel, um, you know, leisure. Think about, you know, you just mentioned retail 
uh, you know, going out and buying things, all of that is going to be very, very positive. And these names that are beaten down right now are probably a very, very good bet because I believe here as the weather gets warmer in the northern hemisphere, uh, you're going to see a lot of consumer demand for like literally everything, especially anything that's outdoors, service related. And that's essentially what's going to drive the economy here. And that's why I'm extremely bullish right now on the market and very optimistic on you know, what the, econ- the economy's growth this year. All right. Economic growth and optimism there. Ryan Payne, thank you very much. When we come back on the show, former Atlanta Fed President Dennis Lockhart on today's big Fed policy decision and Jay Powell's policy playbook for 2022 and beyond. Plus, much more on the extreme relief rally, extreme in Chinese tech stocks overnight. The stocks to watch and a live report from Beijing coming up ahead. But first, trading the technicals in oil. Why our next guest says the recent sell-off could be short-lived. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns after this. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. What we have right now here is a live look at NATO headquarters in Brussels in Belgium. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin meeting with fellow NATO defense ministers on the invasion of Ukraine by Russia. We will continue to monitor some of those comments and bring you some headlines as we see them develop here. But still, that's happening right now. So we'll keep an eye on those particular talks over at NATO. Now, stocks in Asia are on a tear overnight with the Hong Kong HSI surging just one day after seeing its lowest close since 2016. Take a look there. 22 percent gains for the tech index in the Hang Seng, 10 percent gains plus for some of the big ETFs over in China that track those markets there. Beaten up names like Alibaba, JD.com, Metwand and others sharply higher in the session. Alibaba's biggest single day gain on record, by the way, and same story for Tencent. Our own Yunus Yun joins us now from Beijing with the latest. Yunus, what is behind all the buying? Why all the optimism in just one day? Well, Dom, I'm in an area where there are a lot of startups and the tech community, as well as investors, were heartened by comments out of China's vice premier, uh, Vice Premier Liu He, who's managed the trade relationship with the United States, chaired a special financial policy planning meeting today. And in it, he addressed a whole host of issues that have been weighing on the minds of investors, specifically for the financial markets. He vowed support for the financial markets, saying that uh, China would actively introduce favorable market policies. He also repeated that uh, China backs overseas IPOs and that they had made 
positive progress, he said, with the U.S. on audits. Now, in terms of the technology companies, um, he had said that a rectification of Internet firms would finish as soon as possible. And he mentioned the idea of what he called red lights and green lights. And by that, he means that China would make sure to uh, uh, roll out policies to, uh, you know, uh, target certain companies if they felt that it was necessary, but not in a way that would harm the overall online economy. In terms of the economy itself, uh, he said that China is going to roll out more policies to, quote, invigorate the economy in the first quarter and then also to introduce a new development model for the property sector. Now, what's interesting here is that so many of these issues were in the same statement. And so a lot of investors were reading this to mean that China was concerned about the sell-off that it was seeing among all of these tech shares as well as other uh, stocks and that they wanted to send the message to investors that stability is a priority here among the Chinese uh, leadership. Eunice, do you feel as though this this kind of change in, in tone, and, and it's understandable, this is the world's second biggest economy we're talking about, and it's been sliding, sliding, sliding for months now. But what do you, do you feel as though it was the geopolitical issues regarding Russia and Ukraine and the uncertainty there that really prompted the Politburo, the Chinese Communist Party to come out and say, you know what, we need to kind of stem the bleeding right now and say that this is going to be under control by the time everything is said and done. Difficult to say, but what was interesting is that in this statement, they did not mention geopolitics at all. Uh, nothing on, of course, Russia and Ukraine. But obviously, that's something that has been uh, weighing on the minds of investors here. And uh, the uh, government um, would understand that um, at this point, there is um, a potential reputational damage to Beijing. They're dealing with a whole lot of concern on the geopolitical front. And so, uh, and uh, as you had mentioned on the economic front, so just putting out some messages there, I think were important for the leadership to make sure that investors, that, that the, the trouble that they were seeing in the stock markets here didn't really get ahead of, ahead of themselves. All right, we'll see if it has any kind of momentum staying power there. Eunice Yu with the, the latest in Beijing, thank you very much. Still on deck for the show here. Decision day on deck for Jay Powell and the central bank with a 25 basis point hike, all but certain for the Fed. What's in the cards when it comes to that massive balance sheet? Former Atlanta Fed President Dennis Lockhart will weigh in coming up after this. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. With the Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card, you can earn unlimited 2% cash rewards on purchases you want and purchases you need. That means you earn 2% cash rewards on what you want, like season tickets to watch your favorite team, and 2% cash rewards on what you need, like paying for parking. That's the beauty of the Active Cash Credit Card. It's ready when you are, with unlimited 2% cash rewards. The Wells Fargo Active Cash Credit Card. That's real life ready. 
Terms apply. Learn more at wellsfargo.com slash activecash. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Check out oil prices this morning. U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate WTI crude rising right now, but just about 2%, $98.40. Now, since hitting a 14-year high a little more than a week ago, WTI is down now more than 30 bucks a barrel and Brent crude futures, the world benchmark, nearly $40 in downside, settling below $100 yesterday for the first time since February 25th. But your next guest says that oil ultimately is going to go back to new highs. Mark Newton is global head of technical strategy at Fundstrike Global Investors. I mean, Mark, when we talk about this notion that oil prices had fallen so precipitously, why is it that you feel that you could make a run back towards some of those all-time highs. Hi, Dom. Good morning. Uh, yeah, interestingly enough, you know, even though we've fallen about 24% over the last four out of the five sessions, we really have not done all that much technical damage. And you look at longer-term charts, you know, keep in mind that crude prices did more than double, you know, just since the early part of December over the last three months. So it's really... You know, a new era of volatility, I think, for a lot of investors, but technical trends still very much intact. Momentum is still positive. You look at Elliott Wave structure, which is still in very good shape. So, yes, a little bit of consolidation, but tough to make too much of this decline. You know, I am betting on oil prices moving back to new highs. And, of course, Fundstrat's own Tom Lee is still quite optimistic and bullish on energy as well. So, you know, we're big bulls here at, Fun- at Fundstrat. So, Mark, I mean, we're showing the chart right now of WTI crude oil futures. We've kind of put this trend line in place, as you can see here, the orange one. And then if you kind of take a look at some of the highs that we've seen across this level here, is there a reason why you feel as though that's going to be strong support at that trend line that we're showing here? Well, look, Dom, it's held literally over the last couple months. And so normally the first major pullback that you see to an area of, of trend line support like that typically will offer very good support. Uh, you know, my, my thinking is that it is a little bit short term oversold, obviously not overall all that overdone. So, you know, it's right to take a stand on this first major pullback and think that we're going to rally up to likely 110, 115. And it might be choppy, but ultimately, you know, I am expecting to see crude prices move back up uh, over recent highs and get up towards 150 at a minimum uh, sometime this year. All right. Not not good news for the consumer there. Uh, Mark, let's tilt our attention now towards another part of that macro discussion. That's what's happening with interest rates. Big Fed meeting today. There has been an expectation for a while now that the Fed will raise rates. And for that reason, some of the big ETFs that track Treasury bond markets have been trending lower in price over the course of the last several months here. Take us through what the thinking is on what's going to happen with that Treasury complex, that Treasury trade, if you will. Well, yields have moved up a bit too far too quickly, in my view. And, and and you look at prices of the TLT, we're right back down towards prior lows. So this makes a lot of sense for portfolio managers to consider adding to duration as yields have moved up a little bit over, you know, 2% on the 10-year. Uh, large area of near 40-year resistance for 10-year treasuries up near 2.3. So, you know, this, of course, is the 20-year uh, Treasury bond ETF TLT. And so this is a way for investors to potentially, you know, alleviate some of this concern about equity volatility and, and taking a look at considering treasuries uh, just at the time as we're heading into this very important Fed meeting, you know, as prices have pulled back near former lows. Uh, you know, I think that overhead for, for yields is going to prove minimal. 
And it's going to be right to consider uh, buying dips on this recent pullback in, in bonds. It's interesting, Mark. I hear a lot more chatter these days with some traders and investors out there that 2.2% 10-year yields actually look attractive. So we'll see what happens there. Mark Newton at Fundstrat. Thank you very much. Have a good day, sir. Thank you, Don. Straight ahead on the show, Russia stands on the brink of default ahead of a key debt repayment deadline. Our Leslie Picker has those big details coming up next. Decision day for the Fed with expectations for a first interest rate hike in nearly four years. Former Atlanta Fed President Dennis Lockhart lays out the central bank's strategy on unwinding its massive stimulus program. Ukraine's president set to address Congress in just hours, likely turning up the pressure on President Biden for more help. This as peace talks with Russia are set to resume. We are live in Ukraine with the latest there. And a potential debt default by Russia as Moscow faces a payment deadline with global sanctions creating hurdles on getting the money to its creditors. It's Wednesday, March 16, 2022. You are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back to the show. I am Dominic Chu in for Brian Sullivan on this Wednesday morning. And here is how stock futures are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. Eastern time hour. It's going to be another positive day, at least to start off. That's what the futures are showing right now. The Dow Jones is implied higher by 311 points. The S&P up by about 50. And the Nasdaq implied higher by about 240-some points. Real outperformance in that more tech-heavier Nasdaq index. Now, this is all happening, of course, after big gains yesterday. Oil prices are on the rise this morning. After, though, a precipitous drop in the recent highs that we've seen right now, U.S. benchmark West Texas Intermediate, $98.33, up about 2%. World benchmark ice Brent crude futures, $102.61. But though, remember, just within the last week and a half, WTI crude is $130.50. The International Energy Agency saying earlier this hour that 3 million barrels per day of Russian oil may not find their way to the markets starting next month as sanctions really take effect and buyers hold off on buying those crude oil, at least from Russia. The IEA is projecting lower Russian domestic demand as well for oil products. Back now to our top story and Chinese tech stocks like Alibaba, Tencent, JD.com and others bouncing back in a very big way after Beijing vowed to support its market in order to keep it stable. You can see here Alibaba closed up 27 percent, 36 percent gains for JD.com trading. So big moves there. Much more muted action, though, in the U.S. listed shares of those companies. But some are seeing some real unusual options action on the heels of this morning's news. Let's bring in John Ajarian, co-founder of Market Rebellion, also a CNBC contributor. John, I have to imagine whenever you see a ridiculous moves in the market, parabolic, up or down, the options market has to start taking notice. What kind of activity have you seen? Are people jumping in to buy the dip? Uh, definitely, Dom. Um, in fact, yesterday in KWeb, which is, of course, an uh, ETF that tracks a lot of those big Internet stocks, some of which you just mentioned, Tencent, Alibaba, uh, they traded 23,000 like that um, very, very quickly at the April 25 call strike. And that was when it was trading at near the lows of the day at about 23. We, of course, made up that by the end of the day and in the pre-market today you've already said these are screaming higher um kweb in particular i think up better than 27 percent in the pre-market we shot you a picture of 
uh, that activity. They were buying these calls very aggressively throughout the day. They weren't the only ones dumb. Um, Alibaba, also very aggressive. And uh, Baidu, also very big volume. Is this the kind of volume, is this the kind of trading action that you would see that might suggest there's a sustained move higher? Or is this something where you feel as though it's a very short-term bet and because of the moves that we're already seeing in just the last couple of days that these bets could be closed out relatively quickly, just as quickly as they got put on? Well, as, as you know, we love to look at the time frame. What were they buying? Were they buying options that expire this week? They could have. They weren't. They were buying them further out, Dom. So um, when, when they're buying them out in April, that's a full month out. Might not seem like a lot of time to some of your investors, but to some of us, that's forever, a month out into the future. So they're predicting that prices do continue to rise. What I'd like to see next, Dom, is I'd like to see them roll up to a higher strike. In other words, they were buying those 25s. With the stock now moving through, I think, almost 28 this morning, um, going deeper and deeper in the money, you would like to see them extend that trade further out into the future and perhaps at a higher strike, that 28 or even the 30 strike. And uh, that we'll have to see if that plays out that way today. You know, it's John, we're showing you a chart right now and viewers as well and listeners on Sirius XM channel 112. It's $26.65 right now. So we've already kind of blown past that 25 strike level. You'd like to see the roll up into, like you said, like the 26, the 28s, if you will. Are, are there specific names that you feel are, are better positioned for this rebound? I mean, these are all brand names, the ones that are listed here in the U.S. But is it is it an Alibaba? Mm-hmm. Is it a JD? Is it a NetEase? I mean, is it a Baidu? Which ones tend to catch your attention more in terms of where the most potential upside could be? Sure. I, I would say it would be Baba on an individual basis, just because, you know, they really are rather the Amazon of China. Um, but I'd say Baba and Baidu, those two in particular. I do like that broader market, KWeb. Um, and Dom, if I could just really quick... Uh, you were talking about crude oil when we came on and how much it came down, you know, nearly $40 from the high that we put in March 7th. Um, I was looking at the volatility of crude oil, U.S. crude oil, which is OVX, and that uh, basically peaked at exactly the same day, March 7th. So we've come down dramatically um, in the volatility for crude oil, and uh, I, I think that's probably showing you as much as anything that maybe the sell-off that was a little overdone, I got out of all my equities. Now I only hold call spreads out there into the future in crude oil. But I really like the idea that we stabilize here and then go higher. I don't like it in terms of what I'm going to pay at the pump, Dom, but I do like it in terms of that feeding frenzy that carried us to 130, as you said, um, has eased substantially. And now we get back to uh, basically supply and demand. You know, it's interesting on that discussion point here. You, you, we don't like it as consumers here, but maybe one way to hedge that is to be long oil right now, right? And then you can kind of hedge out some of those fuel costs on your pump side of things. John Ajarian, thank you very much. We'll see you later on today on, of course, the Halftime Report and elsewhere. Thank you. Well, to the latest now on Ukraine, that country's president is set to deliver a virtual address to Congress later this morning on the state of Russia's invasion and make a plea for additional help. Volodymyr Zelensky is expected to reiterate his calls for a no-fly zone and military planes, putting him at odds with President Biden, who has rejected those ideas. 
Biden is expected to announce more than $1 billion in new military aid to the Ukraine government as early as today. Meanwhile, Zelensky says that peace talks with Russia, which are set to resume today, are beginning to sound, quote unquote, more realistic. NBC News' Molly Hunter joins us now from Lviv in western Ukraine. Molly, what can you tell us about the latest developments there? Dominic, that's right. More realistic is the line that everyone is running with this morning. And just in the last half hour, we heard from uh, Russian Foreign Minister Lavrov, who gave an interview to the Russian outlet RBC, and he suggested that the sides during these peace talks were closer to a draft agreement. Mm -hmm. He said uh, that the neutral status for Kiev was under serious consideration. He said the other issues of importance to the Russian side uh, were including the usage of the Russian language in Ukraine and freedom of speech. These peace talks are the third day of the fourth round. As far as Ukraine is concerned, their number one priority is a ceasefire. And we are looking this morning at the capital of Kiev, where overnight, again, civilian targets were hit by Russian airstrikes. Uh, for the last couple of nights, as the Russian troops on the outskirts of Kiev have stall stalled on the ground, Russian uh, airstrikes have intensified on apartment buildings, on metro stations there. And that is exactly what we are seeing. Because of this two-day curfew, though, in the suburbs of Kyiv, you've got 12 suburbs right outside of Kyiv, which have had marginally successful humanitarian quarters, bringing civilians from those suburbs into Kyiv for the relative safety. Well, because of the curfew in the capital, people can't move today uh, from those suburbs into Kyiv. So those people are completely cut off. We're also still heavily focused on Mariupol. Overnight, we heard that 4,000 private cars were able to escape that besieged city in the southeast of the country. That's good news, according to President Zelensky. 20,000 people have gotten out of that city in the last couple of days. Still waiting, though, Dominic, for that humanitarian convoy, 100 tons of humanitarian aid to get into that city. All right, Molly Hunter in Lviv, Ukraine. Thank you very much. We appreciate it. Amid the continued evasion of Ukraine, Russia is also due to pay more than $100 million in interest on a pair of sovereign bonds today. But global economic sanctions have raised questions on whether Moscow will actually be able to physically do so, setting up what could be its first sovereign debt default on foreign currency debt in more than 100 years. Leslie Picker joins us now with more on that. Leslie, could this be different, worse, better than what happened with the Russian debt crisis? It's a great question, Dom. It's one that a lot of people are asking. I'm assuming you're referring to 98, which saw the downfall of long-term capital management, partially responsible for the downfall of long-term capital management, which was levered uh, to Russia. In this instance, people aren't as concerned. The U.S. Treasury has said it's not as concerned about the actual spillover in the U.S. However, as you mentioned, if Russia misses its interest payment today, it will be the country's first sovereign default since 98 and the first on foreign-denominated bonds in more than a century since the Bolsheviks took over. The interest payment amounts to about $117 million. A default would not be about affordability here, but rather sanctions, as you mentioned, which preclude Russia's ability to access its reserves and pay in dollars. These specific bonds with coupons due today were issued in dollars, and their contracts stipulate that the interest must be paid in U.S. currency. So even though the Russian finance minister said it would be fair quote unquote, for the Kremlin to pay in rubles, that would still constitute default for Western bondholders, according to Fitch. 
As a result, most asset managers that hold this debt have steeply slashed the values of the bonds. For the latest Delivering Alpha newsletter out tomorrow, I spoke with Robert Koenigsberger, the chief investment officer of Gramercy Funds, which is a $5.5 billion emerging markets investment firm. He's actually been buying some Ukrainian sovereign debt, but has been avoiding Russia since months before the invasion because sanctions thwart demand for the bonds, creating downward pressure. I see a bit of a bottoms up tsunami coming where uh, there's inelastic supply that, that holders are told to stop holding this in a world where it's hard to get rid of holding it, which should mean lower prices. And then top down, you know, what is Russia going to look like, quote, the day after? Regardless of what happens today, Russia will get a 30-day grace period before a so-called hard default. That That's what can trigger other events like most of the payouts from credit default swaps, which ensure against a default, Don. So, so Leslie, it's an interesting story because when it comes to sovereign debt defaults and whatnot, there are so many different kinds of definitions or conditions that have to be met. Technically speaking, what's not? And we've been talking a lot about this fact that credit default swaps, bond insurance against a default in a in a government like you know Russia, have been going up in price for a long time now. Is there a sense that 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 many of these institutional investors? would actually see some kind of a payout tied to a default, given those credit default swap prices going up in value? Yeah, there is there is that sense. There was a note out by J.P. Morgan earlier this week where they talked about all the intricacies. Because as you mentioned, it's not just like country defaults and all of a sudden you get an insurance payout. There are a lot of technicalities at play. Uh, and the whole J.P. Nor- JP Morgan note looked at this idea of, well, if Russia does try to pay in ruble, does that count as being an effort to pay its interest and therefore not um, you know, be considered a default? J.P. Morgan said, actually, no, they would still be in default, and we could start to see some CDS trigger as soon as this week, but most of the CDS would trigger at that hard default date, um, April 15th. All right, Leslie Picker with the latest there on that Russian debt crisis right now. Thank you very much. We'll see you later on today. Coming up on the show, former Atlanta Fed President Dennis Lockhart lays out what to expect from the central bank's policy decision and the steps it needs to take amid growing economic headwinds and inflation. Worldwide Exchange is back after this. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Investors are gearing up for the conclusion of the Fed's latest policy meeting and anticipating its first rate hike since 2018. Chairman Jay Powell and the central bank are expected to raise interest rates by a quarter percentage point, the first step in unwinding its massive economic stimulus efforts. For more on what to expect, let's bring in Dennis Lockhart, former Atlanta Federal Reserve president. Dennis, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Let's talk about the foregone conclusion. It's going to raise rates because it has to, right? It's time. It's clearly time. The the inflation pressures are just simply too great for the Fed to stay on the sidelines. And it's time to get going with uh, removing all of this uh, support and accommodation. And I think it's a virtual certainty that we will see lift off this afternoon. All right. So it's a live meeting. A lot of anticipation there. It's pretty much been said already. I mean, Fed Chair Jay Powell said it in congressional testimony. It's not very not very usual for a Fed chair to yes, announce policy exactly. before Congress, but he did. So we know what's going to happen. I guess my question for you, Dennis, is if you were still back at the Fed, what does the Fed rate trajectory look like in the coming months if it's going to be 25 bips today? Well, my base case on that question, uh, Dominic, is, is 
in all likelihood, they will continue with a, a, a pace uh, at each meeting of 25 basis points for the foreseeable future. But I, I think the uncertainty that surrounds Ukraine, the uncertainty that we're dealing with in the world means that they're likely to be a little cautious in signaling that because you simply don't know what kind of world you're going to be in by May 4th, which is the next date at which a policy decision would be made. So they may not really give us a good indication, but I believe uh, 25 basis points a meeting for the next few meetings. What, what, and in, your, in your experience, Dennis, uh, how, how long does it take for the, the American public, for Main Street, to start to feel some of the effects from a tightening policy when it starts, say, today? Big question, big theoretical question. You know, the, the mantra that has been used in monetary policy is that monetary policy has its effect with a long and variable lag. That you know, it has been estimated to be sometimes as much as 18 months. Um, I, I'm of the belief that uh, that probably remains true, but there are short-term effects where there are adjustments in interest rates that people actually feel. Markets that are interest rate sensitive do get affected in the short term. It's a it's a hard question to answer with with assurance, but uh, I think there'll be some uh, immediate effects, and certainly psychologically there will be. And one other thing that that a lot of folks are talking a little bit more about these days is what the Fed is going to do about the kind of balance sheet aspect of its operations right now. This idea of quantitative tightening, perhaps. We were speaking with Priya Misra over at TD just yesterday. She, She feels as though the market is prepared for interest rate hikes, but it is not yet prepared for quantitative tightening or a reduction, a real reduction in the balance sheet. Take us through what you think that could look like. Well, first, I think uh, they will be discussing that question at today's meeting. And maybe at the next meeting, we'll be able to come out with a plan of some kind. It's been under discussion at previous meetings. So it seems to me that that they're getting close to having the details uh, uh, locked in. And then I think they will be very careful, particularly under these current circumstances where there's some uh, you know, concern about financial stability because of of the world con- situation. I, I think they'll be very cal- careful to explain it well in advance and allow markets to become prepared. So the concern that that uh, your interviewee expressed um, may may not be a concern by the time they actually start to implement, because the markets will be well prepared. My guess is mid-year, meaning conceivably start in, in June or July. Uh, th- that is following on their guidance, if you will, in earlier comments by Chairman Powell. Sure. That it will be soon after liftoff that they will implement the quantitative tightening. All right. It's going to be a huge focus for many traders and investors out there in global economies. Dennis Lockhart, thank you very much. Worldwide Exchange is back after this break. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. U.S. stock futures right now pointing to a 300-point gain for the Dow at the opening bell. A lot of investors' radars ahead of the opening bell, including on that's what's happening with the Federal Reserve meeting. Check out what's going on. A radar 
here with the opening bell included. Check out what's going on with the futures. That all-important Fed decision due out at 2 p.m. Eastern time today, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky's address to Congress later on this morning, very much at 9 a.m. Eastern time. That historic rebound in Chinese tech stocks on the heels of comments from its vice premier. All of those things in focus right now. Joining me now is Aureus Asset Management Chairman and CEO Carrie Firestone. She's also a CNBC contributor. So, Carrie, with everything that's going on, what's top of mind for you in the markets right now? Well, hi, Dom, and thanks for having me. The market has corrected. We're down 12 percent from the highs. NASDAQ's down 21 percent, one of the biggest corrections since the great financial crisis. So we have to assess whether the market has discounted enough all of the bad news that it will need to absorb over the next six months, whether it's inflation, interest rates, the war, possibly a recession, and whether this is an attractive time to start buying stocks. We've decided that it is, that the market has been evaluating this for the past couple of months, what's coming, and that's the reason that stocks have fallen to about 17 times next year's earnings. And there are many opportunities with stocks that have fallen 50% or more. There's 150 names on the New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ that are down 45% from their 12-month high. And that's just a, a lot of companies to choose from. And if you're careful and you evaluate what you're buying and you have a balanced portfolio, we think this is a time to make some investments in the market. All right, so which dips are you buying there? What, what kind of stocks, carry? Because we were seeing many of the 150 names. What goes to the top of the list? Now, well, so again, there's a mix. So there are some that have fallen even more than that, you know, 70% plus. PayPal and Twilio, they're tech names. But PayPal went from a multiple or 50 times earnings before the pandemic to about 18 times this year's earnings now. And then we bought Fidelity International. All the payment companies have come down. That's that's selling at 12 times. Charter Financial, Blackstone, that's that's a great diversified financial and in real estate and funds, private equity. And because of its exposure in Europe, that stock's been hit. American Express, we like. O'Reilly Auto Parts, that's a different sort of name, but there's still a shortage of cars, new and used, and people are driving uh, in. We expect that oil prices will start to come down. Uh, well, they have started to come down, but gas prices will start to come down. On uh, names like Waste Connection um, and uh, even United Healthcare is, is an attractive name here. And that's th- those are names that are not way on the spectrum of high growth that have come down precipitously precipitously. But if you are interested, you have more of an appetite for risk. I I would nibble at Shopify, DraftKings, Zoom, uh, DocuSign. Those are all stocks that are down over 50 percent. Even Netflix is down massively during that time frame. So so brand names and tech to to your point, Carrie. So here's before we let you go, we got a few moments left here. Would you go back to buying big tech like the Apples, Microsofts and and, and Amazons of the world? Is is that a, a good trade? Well, that's an interesting question because Apple and, Mi- Apple and Microsoft had held up extremely well. 
they were two of the top performing names, you know, in, in the S&P in terms of contribution to return last year. They have not come down as much. I, I think both of them are considered bond surrogates or their money market funds to people. They sold high, high risk stocks and put the money into Apple and sure. uh, Microsoft and, and Google to some extent. I, I think Amazon, which underperformed last year, you know, Amazon was flat and the market gotcha. was up 29 percent. I think Amazon is is more attractive here. All right, Kerry Firestone with the shopping list. We always love him. Kerry Firestone, thank you very much. We'll see you later on. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Futures are implying a 300-point gain on the Dow. Squawk Box is coming up next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.